Welcome in Rose City to Soccer Made in Portland. I'm Ryan Clark, joined by Chris Reifer. We are on the eve of the U.S. Women's National Team opening up their World Cup journey. Uh, the World Cup started last night with Australia and New Zealand. Technically this morning. Yes, technically this morning, our time, uh, but last night in Australia and New Zealand. Um both 1-0 wins for, for the two host squads and uh, an exciting start, albeit with a, a very serious and you know unfortunate backdrop of the um, mass shooting event that happened in Auckland, New Zealand, uh, which you know two people lost their lives. And it was a scary situation considering the uh, distance from the World Cup team's hotels and, and how many fans are traversing in that area. So you know, obviously thoughts with the people of New Zealand as they you know, get started with the World Cup there under unique and unfortunate circumstances. But you know, on the field, there's there's plenty to to watch in the coming days and, and um, you know, plenty of Portland Thorns players who will be taking center stage, including the first uh, being Canada tonight facing Nigeria. Um, so that'll be Christine Sinclair and company, uh, Adriana Leone, former Thorn now. That's right. Old friend. Um, New old friend. Old friend. Yes. Old friend for four months, Adriana Leon. Um, they'll, they'll be taking on Nigeria tonight. And then obviously U.S. tomorrow. Got Costa Rica on tap, Japan on tap uh, for their matches at, at varying hours of the night, if, if you're so inclined to, to stay up. So exciting times for sure with the, with the World Cup starting. Uh, but no Thorns games, at least not uh, until tomorrow. tomorrow. One of them. Uh, Going head to head. Going going head to head with the U.S. basically because the uh, the Thorns play at seven thirty at Providence Park Challenge Cup match during the second San half Diego. of the the U.S. Women's National Team game. <laughs> That's right. We'll talk about that in a few moments. <laughs> we will because that that conflict is difficult for people in Portland who both want to attend that watch party that the Sports Bra and PCFC are hosting over at uh, over at Pioneer Courthouse Square. And also, they kind of want to go to the game, right? Like, even though it's Challenge Cup and, you know, the, the Thorns don't really have a terribly good chance of winning their group or being the best second-place finishing team, they'd like to get over there. But, you know, the World Cup is here, Chris, and, and what, what is the, what's the general vibe for you and, and feeling as, as we get rolling here? Well, certainly a scary and sobering start to the World Cup. Uh, you said one word, though, that I disagree with. Uh, at least I disagree with it in a, in a certain context. You called it unique, uh, and and certainly an unusual event in in New Zealand. Uh, nothing unique about that in the United States, uh, and that is something with which we are all too familiar. Uh, and it is it is scary in the context uh, in in which it happened, and unnerving in the context in which it happened. Uh, but when you zoom out uh, and you look at the broader picture, it is certainly sobering on a different level. Uh, here in in the United States, um, yeah, obviously, uh, and and certainly my thoughts are with all uh, who are affected. Uh, but uh, it is it is yet another reminder of of you know these issues and how they impact us in all sorts of different kinds of ways and in all different parts of our lives. Uh, and so uh, it, it it was a sobering start to what is uh, I think the most exciting World Cup ever. This is the most open women's world cup ever I, I i think there are genuinely four or five favorites strong favorites uh with another pack of dark horses out, out of which you could certainly see a team emerging if they have a a, a good tournament uh and so i i think this is going to be the most exciting world cup ever uh, i think the u.s are, are real contenders but especially because of some of their absences are far from shoe-ins uh shoes in Shoe-ins. I don't know. Uh, and, and, and so, you know, I, I, I think this, it, it, this is great stuff. Uh, this is the kind of stuff that's worth staying up late or getting up early for. Uh, or if you happen to get one of the early games, uh, enjoying over dinner. Um, but, the, I, you know, this, this is going to be a phenomenal World Cup. And, and folks should absolutely tune in. Uh, and there should be every bit of buzz. So if you, uh, if you are so inclined... Go check out the watch party. Uh, you know the game against against Vietnam probably leaves a little bit to be desired on the competitive end. Uh, it should be one that the U.S. Women's National Team can handle, uh, but nonetheless, uh, it is uh, it, it is going to be a huge tournament, and it, it is the the U.S.'s kickoff 
to a huge tournament. But they are not the only people, people watching the World Cup, working at all hours of the day. Ryan T. Clark, the business of journalism never sleeps, my friend. 6 a.m. this morning, 6 a.m. I'm like, my alarm clock is going off. I like, you know, reach into my phone because my phone is my alarm clock, as 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 is the case with most millennials. We don't really own alarm clocks. Uh, no, uh, that, that is not, not, not a useful appliance, uh, anymore. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm reaching I'm like, you know, my phone's going off I'm turning that off. I open up my phone. There's Ryan T. Clark, just dropping a piece of journalism before dawn. Why don't you, why don't you, you, you take it from there? Yeah. So, um, you know, 6 a.m. this morning uh, <laughs> is when I, it was when that story posted that that's something we like to do just just for context for people who are unfamiliar with the process that, you know, the Oregonian goes through with some stories, um, you know, posting at 6 a.m. Pacific, 9 a.m. Eastern allows for a really wide window in both time zones for uh, folks to, you know, view the story and to absorb it. And, you know, this this story was about the Portland Thorns. Um, players speaking out and saying the obvious, something that people have known for a while, that they have fought for for a while, uh, that they want a grass field at Providence Park, that they want a dedicated training facility, uh, and and they deserve one, you know, that is equitable to to the Portland Timbers uh, and provides the necessary things that they need. And you know, within that story, we we found out, um, you know, through that reporting that. The club at this point has narrowed down to two potential sites in Portland uh, for a practice facility for the Thorns, which is a big step and a necessary one for the for the club um, as the NWSL continues to grow, as players continue to speak out more frequently and vociferously on this issue. Um, and yeah, I posted the story at 6 a.m., but you know, some people are awake by then. I, I wake up at five thirty every day because my fiance Emma, who works in construction, uh, she likes to be there early with with all the guys who are there obscenely early on the uh, on the job site uh, that she works at, and she, she's a project manager. So you know, leaders being there uh, in in <laughs> solidarity with their employees, I think, is an, is absolutely a positive trait. The, the trouble is, it makes it so I because we have three dogs and because I can't just let them run around by themselves downstairs. Uh, I, I get up with her <laughs> and uh, I'm up, uh, I'm up at five 30 every morning, which is uh, it. I'd like to say it's getting easier, but after a weekend or, you know, maybe a late night at the park covering the timbers or thorns, it comes it's early. Not, it's, it's not very easy. It's a little rough, your, your, for sure. Your dog's morning routine, especially weekday morning routine, is very different from Jerry, my dog. Uh, Jerry's like weekday routine. He is a a big weekday sleep in dog. Like he has to get up because he's got to get his morning walk and stuff in. But like he is like after the walk, after breakfast, straight back to bed. Uh, yeah, would far prefer to sleep in on weekdays. On weekends, it's like he knows he is he he understands the calendar, the days of the week, and the like. On weekends, he's like six a.m. He's like, "Hey, we got a big day. Let's go." Oh, and uh, and so that's that's great for me uh, when you know I have to get up to tend to my responsibilities on uh, on, on weekdays. Nonetheless, we digress. Uh, so yeah, a, a few bits of news. Uh, first, being following Lindsay Horan's uh, comments. What was it last week? Uh, to Sebi Salazar on ESPN. Uh, I, I think a couple thorns, Bella Bixby and, and Megan Klingenberg, to whom you spoke, also didn't mince words about this and, and were very direct about the fact that, that this is overdue, that this is something that, that they need. I think the word that, that Kling used was unanimous, uh, that this is something that, that the team needs. Uh, I think you rightly point out that the 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 data is mixed with respect to serious injuries uh, on uh, on on turf fields versus grass fields, uh, and so you know I'm not certain I'm certainly not qualified to to, to wade into into that, but I think you also have to listen to the players that that their experiences just that it, it I mean setting aside serious injuries just on a day to day level. I mean this is what Haran said I think. Bixby and, and, and Kling uh, made similar points. Uh, 
that it just on a day-to-day level takes a bigger toll. And that matters, right? Especially when, when it's your training field. And I actually think there are, there are a couple issues here, even though they are definitely related. But there are a couple issues here. One is, is getting the thorns a, a training surface that is grass, which in many ways, in terms of kind of that day-to-day stuff is more important than their competitive surface. Cause you know, they're on the training pitch five, six times as much as they're on the competitive surface, right? And so if you got them a grass training field like the Timbers have, just as an aside, uh, if you got them a, a grass training field, that would be a really, really significant improvement in this respect, even if you didn't uh, you didn't get a, a, a grass uh, surface at Providence Park. Uh, I think both should happen. There, there has been talk of both for a long time. Uh, and, and I think we're, we're sort of past the point of patience to get slightly and unintentionally alliterative, uh, in, uh, with, with these issues. I mean, these are issues that, I mean, we've been talking about since the Timbers came to MLS, let alone the Thorns in, in, in NWSL in 2013. Uh, and, and they still haven't happened. <laughs> Here we are 12 years later on the Timbers side and 10 years later on the Thorns side. And they need to happen. Uh, in terms of you know the club narrowing things down to a couple sites, I genuinely don't know how much news that is. There have been sites bandied about over the course of the years. There's been talk of Delta Park. There's been talk of a few other places. Uh, and so I, I don't know how much news that is. Uh, I don't know how imminent that suggests this is. Uh, and and you know I, I think I interpreted the the club statement to you as being a little bit ambiguous on that front. Uh, and, and so I, I genuinely don't quite know what to make of that, whether that, that really is a, tr- a sign of true progress or if it's sort of just another way of saying that we're in about the same place we've been for the last few years on this. Uh, and, and, and so we'll see about that. But the obvious question, I, I, and I pointed this out on Twitter, I, I think Bill Oram, our, our, our good friend and, call, and your colleague, my colleague is, as well, I suppose, uh, 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 pointed this out as well. But, I mean, that, that's an awkward thing, you know, to the extent that this is something that's sort of imminently moving forward. That's a really awkward thing, given that we have a lame duck situation with ownership. Uh, that, that's an enormous decision. I mean, that is that is a sort of club level decision that you know uh i think probably uh is uh, would only be surpassed by if they decided to build a new stadium in terms of significance and if you're going to be having new ownership theoretically imminently i say theoretically because i don't know the status of that and i don't think anybody outside of a select few do um it just begs the question, why isn't that decision being held for new ownership who are theoretically going to be in a position and motivated to make a really significant investment in the club uh, rather than doing so? I mean, you know, I mean, I use the phrase lame duck. That's the phrase we use for a Congress uh, after after an election, but before the new Congress is sworn in. And that's that that just describes the situation that we're in now with ownership. And it would be like if Congress in a lame duck session went out and passed, you know, enormous, huge, big controversial legislation. Um, I think people would <laughs> stop and say, hey, wait a minute, you're not the, you're not the folks we just selected. Uh, and, and I think that uh, this situation begs some of those questions as well. There's a big countervailing interest, though, which is that the Thorns urgently need a new training facility. We are overdue. <laughs> this, they needed this yesterday. They needed this last week. They needed this last year, right? And in light of the lack of information about when an ownership transition is actually going to happen, do you want to wait? I don't know. Uh, I mean, if that ownership transition is going to happen in a couple months, yeah, probably, because that seems to me to be a decision for the next group. If it's going to be a couple of years, I mean, I don't, I certainly know how the Thorns players would feel about that. Uh, and so I think those are difficult questions and, and, and are fairly greeted with a good amount of ambivalence. But, you know, it's, it is a, a huge point. It should be a huge talking point uh, 
both in terms of the overall question about what happens with the Thorns training facility and and who should be making that decision. Uh, and, uh, and, you know, that, that's sort of where we are, but, uh, big reporting from you on that, uh, th- this morning, good job getting, uh, getting a couple thorns to, to speak very candidly, uh, with you about it. I think that's really important. And I think this is something that, that needs to continue to be, uh, on the tips of everybody's tongue as, as we go through this transitional period within the club. And, and, you know, speaking to the, to the ownership issue and, and how that weaves into this decision-making, the, the timing of everything. Um, I, I think an important piece of what a Timber spokesperson provided to me in that statement uh, was that this is something that they uh, are moving forward on in their words, regardless of the timeline of identifying a buyer for the, for the club, for the thorns that signals to me uh, as someone on the outside that this is the immediate priority for Merritt Paulson uh, before the sale is completed. And sure, you know, he and the people around him who are helping lead the sale, Heather Davis and and others in the organization, um, they can walk and chew gum at the same time, right? But those are two massive endeavors uh, and are inextricably linked because the next owners are either going to inherit the project before its completion. They are going to potentially, and this is not necessarily how it would work out, but they would potentially be reliant on Paulson and whomever is put in charge of that project by him uh, to, to complete the facility after the sale. Who's going to own the Uh, facility? Who will own the facility is a question. Will it be, Merritt Paulson, will it be the new owners? Will that ownership pass on to them? Will it be completed before the ownership transfer is done? That seems incredibly unlikely as somebody who is going to marry someone that works in construction and knows (laughs) how slowly construction works uh, in in this world, Um, particularly high level construction projects like that, like a professional sports teams training facility, right? Um, right. And, in, you know, I mean, the there, there are certainly yeah. questions about whether they're going to be building, building something from scratch, whether they're going to take an existing facility and update it as they did with the timbers. I mean, you know, I mean, those those kinds of things can can affect timelines. But, yeah, I mean, they're not going to have a new training facility next month. <laughs> that is not going to happen. They're probably not going to have, have one by this time next year, uh, basically, regardless, uh, just because of the, the, the timeline of these sorts of things. And so I think that's a very, very fair question in terms of how the timing is going to work out. And how the ownership issues would work out uh, is is it a good idea? You, you know, I mean, if if Peregrine Mary Paulson's entity is going to to own the new facility, is that a good idea? Is that a fair proposition to have another instance in which the Thorns would be essentially leasing something uh, from Merritt Paulson's entity? And does that faithfully adhere to Merritt Paulson's commitment to divest himself from from the team? All very fair questions, um, and uh, I think we don't have a lot of answers to them. But even then, within within the, in the reporting, you know, I know they're saying they're down to a couple sites, but I I keep going back to the fact that they've been considering sites for a long time. Like that doesn't scream to me that this is in, or at least that doesn't demonstrate conclusively to me that this is in a significantly different place than it's been for, I mean, at least half a decade. Uh, and so you know, we'll see. But yeah, I, I, I think I think your inference uh, in terms of the significance of the statement and what they were saying with respect to whether or not a new buyer has been identified, I think that was that was more or less the phrase. Oh, intentionally sort of worded, it seems to be ambiguous as to whether or not a buyer has been identified. Uh, but it, it does seem that it's their intent to move forward with this. And I think that just begs a whole series of questions. Yeah, and on the sale front, I have asked the the team and the club repeatedly um, for updates on the, the sale of the thorns, and have not yet received information on on that on on who the potential buyers are beyond the previous reporting we've done on the on the group led by former Nike executive Melanie Strong. Um, don't know if they're still in the mix, if they are leading the way, if they're in advanced negotiations who other potential buyers are. 
uh, where the the price is set. Although we've we've seen a range of numbers um, starting around the sixty million range back when uh, back when this was first announced, when the buzz was a little bit buzzier on this on this subject. Um, but it's it's been pretty quiet on this front, and this is this is the first major thorns related item that the the club you know in terms of off field decisions has spoken out about since uh the controversies since Merritt stepped down as CEO since uh since he announced that he was going to sell the team um and between that there hasn't been an update on the sale which i i think concerns fans i think it concerns players that you know the process may not be moving at the pace that that they like and you know that's that's a different subject what they want to happen versus what is realistic but beyond the realism of it there have been numerous and very public talks about the ol reigns sale which was um something that we know a lot more about about michelle kung's uh you know uh, investment in in olympique leon uh, and the effect that that's going to have on OL Reign and the right. transition of ownership there than we do about the Thorns. And I think yeah, that speaks volumes. And, and, and the Red Stars have not provided much in the way of updates in their sale either. But um, my understanding, based on conversations with people in the league, is that the Red Stars sale is is further along than the Thorns one is. Um, Which, honestly, like, just I know I know I've made this point a couple a couple times in the past. That's crazy. That's crazy. Do you know any person, any person who would be more excited about buying the Chicago Red Stars than the Portland Thorns? I mean, it, does that make any sense at all? The Thorns are the most successful club in league history. The Red Stars are one of the least successful clubs from a commercial perspective. They've been okay on the field, but from a commercial perspective, one of the least successful clubs in club in league history. And yet, yeah, the Thorns are the biggest winners there. The, they have the most people in the stands on average, save for LA, which is obviously a gigantic market and a different animal altogether. And and, and a, a new a team, marketing and you, media you know, standpoint. and a new team coming in at, 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 at a very very different time. But you know, right. I mean, the, Chicago in terms of a soccer market, the Fire haven't figured it out, uh, even though they're they're now playing at Soldier Field. Uh, the I mean, there there are a lot. I mean, there are a lot of questions about investing in the Red Stars. The Thorns are a slam dunk. The Thorns are the safest investment in NWSL. And the, and, yeah, and, the and yet and fan following. Yeah. 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 I mean, you're going to, you're going to, the new owner is going to walk in and immediately have 18,000 fans in the seats. That's a pretty darn good place to start. There's, there's more, there's more to do and there are other, other, you know, issues to tackle, but that's a, that's a pretty darn good place to start. Folks in Chicago ain't going to have that. They ain't going to have anywhere near that. They're barely going to have a quarter of that. And yet that sale is farther along than than the Thorns. I Right. And, and you know, the business aspects of, of a sports team do not, you know, come down solely to the butts and the seats. But that's a big factor. And, and, and it's an especially is, big factor in NWSL. It is. And there is a lot more there with the Thorns in terms of their success from a business standpoint, from an on-field perspective. They're the winningest club in NWSL history. They got the most championships. They got the biggest star in the league in Sophia Smith. I mean, what's what's what more do you do you for want? the moment? So that that's what what is interesting about the sale process is we haven't heard anything specifically, obviously, but you know they have spoken about wanting to keep the ownership local for it to be local business people, for it to be local investors or people with local ties that that you know, care about maintaining the Thorns place in the community. How does that work in a city like Portland, right? How, who are those people who are those millionaires and, and near billionaires that would be able to, to invest? Look, there, there are, there are a lot of different people. There's, there's former executives at the sports in the sports world and in, you know, technology, there's athletes that, make a whole bunch of money that could could throw some money at it you know Diego Valeri was just here maybe he wants to, <laughs> to throw some cash at it uh, Damian Lillard he m- might not want to be here very long but he makes as much in one year as the thorns would cost to buy outright so at least you know, toward the end of his current contract but yeah, yeah well he'll, he'll be making like 60 mil at the end of that contract for for Miami <laughs> allegedly 
maybe or, maybe maybe or, it's not gonna leave. who knows <laughs> it's been taking a while somebody's gonna pay him 60 million dollars somebody will pay that man 60 m's uh at age like 36 not bad not bad that's a, that's a good good salary but no the uh the in all seriousness um there's a lot of questions right now about the the sale for the thorns and we don't know when we're going to start getting answers and this is going to end up having both and when i say this i mean all of these things are going to have an on-field impact at some point we've already seen it with haran she was very clear that this was a factor seemingly a significant factor in her decision to stay in france rather than return to portland and i think it would be incredibly naive to think that it would not be a factor in terms of re-signing for other players, right? If they have, yeah, that's actually something that verbatim what you just said is what came out of Bella Bixby's mouth, and I wasn't able to include that specific aspect of her quote in the story, but that is something that that she and both Megan Klingenberg and others who have spoken privately on the issue have talked about the idea that you know retaining players is going to be more difficult with a turf field. I'm not saying that this is going to factor into her decision, but Sophia Smith's contract is up after next year. Which, by the way, which, by the way, I mean, this gets into the into GM stuff. The Thorns cannot allow Sophia Smith to enter a a contract here. They 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 have to extend her, or they have to move her. Yeah, well, they they definitely want to extend her. That's my that's my understanding, and and they want want Schmont. though. I mean, that's that's sort of the point. Like, want is one thing. The ability to do that is is another thing altogether. And whether they have that ability or not, I think, is an open question. And that is an, an imminent question. Even though her contract isn't up until the end of 2024, you cannot allow Sophia Smith to enter a contract here. Because when just with the nature of soccer moves, a player's value tanks in their con- uh, on, on sort of the market. A player's value tanks in their contract year. And the reason is... Because every potentially buying club is like, well, do I want to pay a bunch of money to get her now? Or should I just wait till the end of the year <laughs> and get her for free and just sign her to a contract? Yeah, and Thor- Thorns fans don't want to imagine a scenario where Sophia Smith it, it walks would be at, at age 24. It would be yeah. managerial, general managerial, onagerial malpractice to allow Sophia Smith to walk for nothing malpractice yeah. malpractice yeah. this is a very walk far for future and and <laughs> but it's and not probably, i mean th- yeah. this, this this issue is is now i mean they need to re- they need to extend her now or they need to make a decision about what they're going to do this offseason this is the moment in which that call needs to be made and you have these questions up in the ether <laughs> While this issue is 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 hot, and so you know, I I don't see these these things, and and I you know, we certainly don't know a whole lot about sort of the status of a lot of the other Thorns contracts, but it's for any contract that's going to be up in the next fifteen or sixteen months. These are big questions, and so that that's why I mean, this isn't just kind of hypothetical head scratching about the future. Like this could have on-field impacts and it could have on-field impacts pretty soon. Cause if Sophia Smith right now is saying, I don't want to resign unless there's going to be a training facility. Then the thorns need to seriously consider either a, whether they can deliver on that. And if they can't B whether they should move for this off season, because that'll be their last chance to get any value. Otherwise you're, you're staring straight in the face of Sophia Smith Honest to goodness, one of the best players in the world walking for free. Yeah, look, I let me be abundantly clear. They they are going to do everything that they can to re-sign her and to do so quickly. They they <laughs> they're working on that, from my knowledge, and and you know that's a scenario that I don't think that they are going to allow allow to get close. Given given her importance to the city and to the club and to the sport in general, it takes two to the, tango the, though. It it does take two to tango, and the the issue with the turf is something that I think affects current players, but also affects future potential players. Right, players you want to make a transfer for or sign uh, to to build this team out in the coming years as veterans like Megan Klingenberg, like Becky Sauerbrunn, 
like Christine Sinclair start to, to ride off into the sunset. You, you want to be able to attract players who, who aren't worried about their longevity playing on a turf field, playing, uh, practicing on a turf field as well. Um, one note that we didn't mention, but I think is important is that the Thorns are the only team in NWSL to train exclusively on turf. There are some that train on both and there are some that train only on grass, which is the preferred method of everybody. If you talk to any soccer player out there, professional or otherwise, and the, where- the quote that I want to get to uh, from Megan Klingenberg on this subject that I think is important uh, came at the end of my story. You can read it at OregonLive.com if you want to want to read this quote, but I'll read it aloud on air. Um, Don't get me wrong. We love being here. Megan Klingenberg said, we love this team. We love this group. We love the tech staff. The reason that we're all still here on turf is because we want to be here because we know this team has the ability to be the very best team in the world on any given day. We are on the path to excellence. We just want our club to be on the same path. That that's, to me says what the mindset is for this group because Kling is not somebody that would come out and provide that perspective without knowing that that's truly how everybody, if not most everybody on this team feels, right? And and so these players are currently in a position where they are sacrificing the day-to-day toll on their bodies in order to build what they believe can be something great. But the onus, according to Klingenberg, according to all these players is on ownership and on the front office at PTFC, uh, whomever is in charge, to make this move to not only get them a practice facility, but to to make the switch to grass, which, you know, I didn't in the story get too deep into that can of worms. I do plan to open it and examine it <laughs> and like shake all the worms out on the table, uh, you know, in, in the future as, as we, know more from the club's perspective about why the the turf question is so complicated. There's a lot of issues that, you know, we can get into on a different podcast, but um, many, many of them are preventing that from happening right now. Um, but, but yeah, look, these, these players are making the sacrifice and they're doing so because they believe in, in the future of the club and, and building something of a dynasty here right if they win a championship here uh this year um you know next year they might lose a player or two to retirement or to to another opportunity because you know they could get big money elsewhere as a as a younger coming into their prime player we don't know the contract situations but whoever's shuffling in and out whoever you have you keep the core together you maintain the culture that the veterans on this team have established you're talking about a dynasty in women's soccer in the United States. And that is a very special thing, not only just for the fans who get excited because the team wins, but for the players, for the city, you know, for, for the people who are making money from it, let's be real. It's a very profitable thing to be a dynasty. Sure. So take take a look at all the other pro sports in this country. You can make some bank winning, winning rings and, and in this uh, sports world. So, you know, if, if they want that to happen, the players are, are being straight up. They're saying, you got to do this. You got to make this investment now. It should have happened years ago, but we're not worried about that anymore. It's time It's time to show up. There is one thing and one thing only that every dynasty ever on the history of the planet has in common. They've all come to an end. And the 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 simple reality is there were a lot of years in the past in which some of these issues with the thorns were not huge issues in terms of recruitment, because frankly, there were bigger issues elsewhere. Uh, and the thorns presented a better situation in many respects than other NWSL clubs. And frankly, even most clubs overseas, that is increasingly not the case. Period. They are being and have been passed. And if they want, if they are not going to compete if they're not going to have equivalent or, and I emphasize, or better facilities than these other places, that dynasty will end and it'll end in not the distant future. Uh, and so that's that's the task now. And I, I think the writing is is very, 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 very clearly on the wall about that. But that's the task. 
The Portland Timbers played a an exciting match fun on game. Saturday. Fun game. Yeah, really, really fun game. Diego Valeri honored before and, and during halftime uh, enters the ring of honor. Um, and, you know, as Sebastian Blanco said, it was it was a night for for the older guys or what, what was the quote that he had? It was uh, it, it was for the old school, I believe the old school. That's right. Uh, he said it was a night for the old school because Tyrone scored, scored, he scored, the, and Diego Char got a yellow card. Yeah, that's exactly an undeserved it. yellow card, uh, by the way. But sure, he would he would argue that for almost every, if not every, single card. Most of them have been seen. deserved. This one was kind of BS. <laughs> yeah, he'd say he's never earned one. But uh, the the game was was exciting. It was fun. Uh, Dyron Espria um, with a brace in the first half. He was on hat trick watch until Gio took him out in the 60th or so. Tradition uh, like no other. A tradition like no other in, in Portland Timbers <laughs> soccer. Uh, but but you know not for a lack of you know looking out for Dyron because he's he's coming off of injury and, and not quite 90 minutes fit yet. So you, you don't want to push him too hard, especially since he's going to be important to what they do in League's Cup, which is coming up. Uh, we will talk about that, of course, uh, later on. But, you know, this match in particular, 3-2 win over Columbus, it had all the elements of of the Portland Timbers season in one, right? You've got the the overperformance to start the match where they, they're up 2-0 and you're like, whoa, they're blowing the doors off of them. They're, you know, putting themselves in great positions to score. They're moving the ball well. Frank Boley's ball ahead to to Dyron Esprit. That was on that one of the best goal. individual plays of the season. Yeah, Bo- that was Bo- awesome. Boley's uh, Boley bringing the ball down, putting it into space with one touch off of that throw-in, which is a difficult ball to handle. And then the outside of the boot uh, early ball over to Espria to to put him in on goal. Yeah, brilliant. I mean, probably awesome. probably the the single best individual play of the season. Right, and and. Bowley has, as an aside, really come into his own in the last few weeks and I think been a consistent and positive contributor for the Timbers, something that that Ned Grabovoy and Gio and, and everybody involved are genuinely excited about. You know, they they signed him uh, through the end of this season and, and are looking to potentially bring him back next year. I think he's definitely earning that opportunity to come back next year and compete for the, the top striker spot with a now healthy Felipe Mora. Uh, who will obviously be even healthier next season, uh, barring any setbacks in his recovery. Um, so he's he's been good, and and so that was the first of the elements, right? This this overperformance of of what we've seen lately. Then there was the signature backslide. The you know it went from two zero down to two one before half, and you're like, uh oh, like they they might be letting these boys back in the game. And then just an, an unbelievable uh, goal to make it two to two. But uh, also a goal that Lucas Zellerion is going to score most of the time. Maybe yeah, not most of the time, but a lot. Like, like if you get get him in that kind of space, 25 yards out, that guy, in particular that guy, he's really good, and he's really good at, at hitting hitting balls from distance. He's going to put some in. And so that, I mean, th- that was trouble from, from the moment he got into that space. Yeah, it was. And so the Timbers were in trouble at that point. It was one of those, oh, God, here we go. You know, Bill Oram was – was at the game next to me for uh, for that one. And um, he he was like outwardly predicting that the Timbers were going to lose the match. And you know what? Like, and to be honest, they, get, they were getting pumped. They, they were kind of getting were. crushed really for, for 15 or 20 minutes there. It was really bad. And, and I was inclined to agree with him at that point. Bill can can occasionally um, be bombastic, let's say, on on certain takes. I love the man. He's, he's, a, he's a wonderful guy. But, his job, you know. It is his job, indeed, to have takes. <laughs> but you know, I I thought at the moment that he was correct that you know yeah, they were going to lose like th- three to two, and and that was going to be that. And then Saba scored, and then the entire axis of the game shifted to to a late exciting moment, which which is the the third element of uh, of the Timber season so far, and that is temporary respite, hope that exists in a very tiny little vacuum right because yes it it was the old school yes it was this this nice revitalization of the Diego Valeri era those are two guys in Dyrona Spria and Sebastian Blanco who were integral to to that era uh and who played with Diego and and have love for him um Aspria was playing with a heavy heart himself one of his friends in Colombia passed away three days before this match and he he goes out there and is able to perform and score two goals so so kudos to him for 
for fighting through those emotions. And um, it, it, it was a classic game. It was, it was a classic and fun game, but then you come back to the stone cold reality, even though that, that game was, was kind of a, a microcosm for, for the season. It was not representative of the season by any means. The, the season so far has gone the way of that second element of the backslide of the given points away of, of the disappointment that has happened when the Timbers have been healthy, when the Timbers have been injured. Uh, it's, it's just not gone the way that they've wanted it to go. So now they have the league's cup. They have this match against San Jose on Saturday and they play Tigres uh, on, on the Wednesday after that. Um, that presents them an opportunity to, to regain their form in games that do not count for the MLS regular season standings so that when they come out of this, whether it's after a lengthy break, if they get eliminated, which they don't want to, they want to play their full first team and play for victories in this tournament. That's something that Gio has said explicitly this week. Um, If every game is, every game is a final. Yeah. Yeah. But (laughs) you know, whether they come out of this tournament with a, a deep run or get eliminated earlier or, or whatever, um, they want to utilize the stretch as an opportunity to make that necessary final push to, to not just get into the playoffs, but get into a, a better position. Um, that is something Gio is saying, but the performances and effort from players on the field has not consistently lived up to that expectation in the weeks prior to this, uh, this three to two win against Columbus. It's it. You you don't want to write off a win like that as a, as a potential one-off, but given how the season has gone so far, that is the more likely eventuality than them improving their form in this league's cup and then riding that momentum into a, a playoff appearance and even a, a deep run as they've had in the past as underdogs. Um, so so what are, what is your perspective then on this league's cup Chris just just given I don't really care about league's cup. Okay. <laughs> I mean <laughs> league's league's cup for me is is it, it, it'll be fun. I'm looking forward to watching Tigres come to come to Providence Park. Uh, if the Timbers get out of the group, I'm looking forward to seeing where, you know, I mean who they'll match up against. It's just fun to see the Timbers play against teams that they don't ordinarily get to play against, but uh but competitively how much do i care about league's cup you know mls and concacaf champions league are our tops us open cup is a step down from there uh league's cup is a couple steps down from there and then like the preseason tournament maybe is is one step down from there so like one step above preseason stuff but a couple steps below everything else competitive that the timbers do over the course of the season so, so you don't think this is gonna gonna be something that's a, a fun and exciting way to compare the two leagues because that's kind of the attitude. No, that, no, that it absolutely it absolutely will not be a way to compare the two leagues. I mean, look, Liga MX okay. teams are in preseason. Like, you, this is not going to be the peak Tigres team that you would expect to see maybe in November or or next spring, right in 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 March or something like that. Uh, and they're they're just getting into camp. I mean, the this is a preseason tournament for Liga MX teams, and so like, I, so you know, is it a way to compare the, the leagues? Absolutely not. Is it a way to give MLS a bit of a leg up uh, in terms of competition with Liga MX, where they've been generally uh, beaten up during Concacaf Champions League? Yes, it is. <laughs> I think that is that is precisely the design. MLS folks have. Have have been complaining for years about the fact that the uh, the CCL uh, games that they play against these Mexican teams are you know coming right at the beginning of the season, even sometimes during preseason, and how that doesn't put them in a good way to compete against uh, 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 against the Americas and sort of establish their continental dominance or whatever that is. Uh, this is exactly the shoe being on the other foot, right? And and that's the point. And that's why this tournament is happening. This is a glorified preseason tournament for Liga MX teams. Uh, it is, uh, of course, I think, a, you know, a, a big economic opportunity uh, for both Liga MX and and MLS. And we'll see if it turns into something bigger at some point down the road. I don't know if it will, um, but we'll see if it does. That's a it's a, it's a it's a fair question. But in terms of of 
you know, how much I put competitively in, in, in the Timbers, you know, having a group stage against uh San Jose earthquakes team that they play a couple of three times a year already. Uh, and then a Tigres team fun, uh, and, and very talented, uh, in, uh, in, but in, you know, in early preseason, I don't put a ton of competitive stock in it. I think in terms of the Timbers and just because of where they're at, and this sort of goes back to the conversation uh, about the the game against Columbus, I think it's kind of important for them just because they need to be able to show the kind of fight that they had in the last 20 minutes or so against Columbus consistently because they're going to need that kind of that kind of attitude and and that kind of buy-in, they're going to need all 90 minutes in every MLS game from here on out if they want to do shoot this year. They're probably not going to do shoot anyway. But if they if they even want to have a prayer, that's what we're going to need to see. And so for me, coming out of the Columbus game in terms of talking about hope, the hope isn't so much in the result, right? I mean, there was a game that they needed to win, but they need to win a lot more games in order to be even marginally relevant. And so... You know, that that's not what what gives me hope. What gives me hope is the way they reacted after uh, after Columbus drew level. That was good that we haven't seen that so far this year uh, in with any regularity. And the way they played in those last uh, what 20 or 30 minutes, even before Seba's goal, I, I thought was much better. And was the kind of thing that they're going to need going forward. Uh, and, you know, it, it wasn't, you know, it, it sort of fell to him at the back post, but it was sort of fitting that on Diego Valeri's night, uh, in which he was being very rightfully celebrated, uh, that it was Sebastian Blanco that scored the winner. That was great. Uh, that was awesome. And uh, you could see how much the goal meant to Seba. Uh, the parallelism between Seba taking off his jersey and showing it to the crowd with Diego Valeri doing the same thing back in, what was it, I think 2018, uh, when he his future with the club was in its own right uncertain even at that time before the Timbers ultimately signed him to an extension later that year uh, in 2018 or 2019. Memory gets hazy over the years. Uh I think that was 2019 when that happened, but the parallelism was, was really obvious, right? Uh, I think even, even the, the Timbers probably in a, in a moment of, um, unintentional, uh, <laughs> drawing of this parallel sort of showed them side by side. Uh, it, when, when I think there's significant doubt now about, uh, about Seba and, and what he's going to do next year. Oh, but the respect that he was showing to the fan base, the respect that Diego Valeri showed, uh, and the love frankly, that Valeri showed for, uh, for, for the supporters and for the Timbers army. Uh, I think all of that was, was very fitting and very touching. Uh, but the bigger point for the team is that it is going to take that kind of an effort that they showed at the end of that game in every game, in every minute of every game going forward. And that's kind of got to start now, right? You're not just going to be able to flip that switch when Houston, when you go to Houston on August 20th, which is, I think, their next MLS game. Uh, that that's going to need to start now uh, in in these League's Cup games. And so, do I care about the League's Cup in its own right competitively? I do not. Uh, but in terms of the Timbers, who still sit on 1.13 points per game, which, as we've discussed, ain't shoot, and frankly, ain't even close to shoot. Uh, they they need to 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 be getting into this higher gear now, and so I think it, these games are are important just from a Timbers getting getting their stuff sorted out perspective. I saw somebody on Twitter uh, predict uh, in their League's Cup bracket challenge or whatever it may be called. Uh, predict a Portland Timbers versus Inter Miami final, <laughs> uh, in which uh, Lionel Messi um, would. I believe make a trip to Providence Park, although who knows where that game would be held. Uh, my guess would be MLS would rather. How do you have how do you in, think in Miami at Hard Rock Stadium? How do you think but, the Thorns would feel if they put uh, grass over the turf at Providence Park for a final <laughs> against Messi in League's Cup? 
look, there, there's been a lot <laughs> like of... Like, Megan Klingenberg might walk off the, the like, training pitch if that, if that happened. There has, there's been a lot of foot-and-mouth disease around these issues over the past few years, but that would be a gargantuan and unforgivable mistake if... For one guy, and you know he's not just one guy. Let's let's get that out of the way. Even it's one superlative guy. <laughs> Even one superlative guy. Guy. They they rolled grass in for that one game. One guy in a new cup for one day, and for years these and then rolled it right court. out for Thorne's training the next day. <laughs> that would be atrocious, and there's no way that would happen. But then the question becomes, okay, well, if that was the final, then would Messi play on turf? So that ties it all all together, right? The idea of, of, the, of the turf issue, which the Thorns players have rightly brought up, and and, uh, and this whole League's Cup thing, which is very messy. With a Y. To say the least. With, with, <laughs> with a Y and with an I. Uh, we're bringing Bill Oram-style puns in here uh, near the end. But Messi's a big part of it. Look, I mean... The, the marketing teams at MLS have gone overdrive since he's making his debut tomorrow. Uh, today is Thursday, so Friday the 21st tomorrow in League's Cup, he's, he's going to make his debut. Might not start, which is kind of Almost insane. certainly won't start. He's basically yeah. in preseason. Yeah, so that that's kind of wild to have El Messi on, on your, your uh, bench graphic if you're an MLS team. Pretty hilarious, actually, you know, just objectively. But um, big moment for the league. Everybody's talked about it ad nauseum. We're not really going to talk about it too much it'll be fun. in this space, but it'll be fun. Hey, it's messy, man. People are going to tune in. There's going to be eyeballs. And, and like maybe ne- next year he could play the Timbers and I'll have an excuse to fly to Miami or, you know, maybe they'll play up here and he'll have a thigh contusion uh, and choose not to play on the turf and, and your thousand dollar tickets are going to go, go down the tube <laughs> if you're uh, in Portland. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the messy stuff's going to be fun and it's fun for everybody, right? Like even the, the, the cynics among us, uh, you'll love the fact that, that Messi, the greatest player to ever play the game is coming to Miami to play in a temporary stadium in Fort Lauderdale where like the, the offices at the stadium are literal, honest to goodness shipping containers. It's like, it's it's just so good. It is so good, and it's got something for everybody. Uh, he's gonna. I mean, look, he's a really good player. If you haven't seen him play, he's really really good. So like, tune in for the games too. But uh, like the the vibes are also just just immaculate and hilarious. Capitalism is wild, man. It is something else. <laughs> it's it is something to behold. Sometimes it, it it'd be funny if it wasn't so so dark and and depressing. Uh, but on that note, that that will wrap it up for us this week on Soccer Made in Portland. Uh, for Chris Reifer, I'm Ryan Clark. Thank you for joining us. Uh, like us, subscribe to us wherever you get your pods. Follow us on Twitter at Soccer Made in PDX, at Chris Reifer, and at Ryan T. Clark. Uh, follow all my work at OregonLive.com. Um, and, and, the work and get up colleagues. early to do so. Yeah, and get better get up early because them things are uh, getting scheduled for like 6 a.m. sometimes. So you never know when, when it's going to pop up, when you're going to get that RSS feed notification. Uh, thanks again, y'all, and we'll catch you next week.